The views expressed in this program are those of the host and not necessarily those of WVUD or the University of Delaware. WVUD and UD Information Technologies present Campus Voices, conversations with University of Delaware faculty, staff, and students about their teaching, research, service projects, and other interests. To introduce today's guest, here's your host, Richard Gordon, manager of the IT Communication Group at the University of Delaware. Thank you, Jason. And joining us today on Campus Voices is Jennifer Ewald. She's a licensed clinical social worker that has come to UD Student Wellness and Health Promotion by way of Child, Inc. to provide intimate partner dating violence services to the campus. The university is a recipient of the United States Department of Justice Office on Violence Against Women Campus Grant Program. And so we've partnered with Child, Inc., a community domestic violence agency, to assist in the reduction of domestic violence, dating violence, sexual assault, and stalking on college campuses. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. That's quite a lot of uh, stuff that you're involved with. Yes. The university, like you said, has partnered um, with Child, Inc. uh, to provide uh, dating violence services on campus. So this is a federal grant that the university was awarded, and we're going into our second year here on campus to provide uh, these services for students. Um, So I'm the intimate partner violence counselor. I'm there to kind of do individual counseling um, based on student need, as well as uh, healthy relationships groups to go over the ideal, you know, relationships, um, especially in this specific age group of college-age students. So what are some of the programs you're hoping to have happen on the campus? Um, So right now I'm doing the individual counseling. That's always available um, by appointment. Students can come to Student Wellness and Health Promotion, which is the uh, White Building on South College right near the Morris Library. Um, and we're also hoping to get a healthy relationship group, relationships group started uh, this fall. And so students can, if they're interested, just call the office or stop by the office and schedule an appointment so we can get that group started as well. And we'll have links to all that information up at the show's website, www.udl.edu slash campusvoices, and you can find out more about these very important programs. Now, I think it's very important that our listeners realize that these programs that you're running are part of an overall approach to student wellness here at the university. Right. Um, so out of the Student Wellness and Health Promotion Office, we do um, the, I do the dating violence uh, prevention work and counseling work. There's also sexual, support, su- sexual offense support services. Um, so for students who have experienced sexual assault or maybe think that they may have can also get counseling services through our office. Um, students who need... Uh, counseling and just information about um, alcohol and substance abuse issues also can get counseling at our office as well. Um, so it's all just a overall be, um, idea of student wellness and you know feeling more complete while you're on campus and getting the resources that you need specifically related to substance abuse, sexual assault, dating, violence, stalking, things like that in our office. How big a problem is partner abuse in university campuses? Um, well, the research shows that the uh, intimate partner violence on campus is usually experienced by about one in four college students. So it's a little bit more of a problem than I think most people realize because I think a lot of us think of dating violence, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and we think of physical abuse. 
Um, and so if you don't experience physical abuse, you think, okay, I'm not, I'm not experiencing intimate partner violence that doesn't relate to me. But the reality is that there's, it's a much more complex issue than just physical abuse. We're talking about emotional abuse, verbal abuse, psychological abuse, manipulation. And I think that students do experience that more frequently than they um, may realize and might not realize it is as big of a problem as it actually is because maybe they just don't know what, you know, is an ideal healthy relationship and they're kind of new to experiencing these relationships on college campuses and they're not sure what is healthy, what's unhealthy, what's actually considered dating violence. So it sounds like it's not just, you know, boyfriends beating up girlfriends, but Mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, one member of a couple trying to manipulate uh, the other member in a couple to to do things that he or she may not want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, frequently, especially with um, the increase in technology, we know through social media sites and just text messaging in general, um, often um, people will want you to check in frequently with them. Um, This happens in same-sex and um, opposite-sex couples. It's not just related to just heterosexuals or just um, same-sex couples. It also happens in um, relationships that aren't necessarily as serious. Like, you don't have to be together for two years to have this experience. You could just be dating for a few weeks and experience these types of things. So you might be friends with someone on Facebook that they don't like and they ask you to remove that friend or they just do it for you by logging in and taking their friends off. They ask you to check in at certain times of the day. And if you don't, there's sort of repercussions for that as far as like you didn't text me by this time and you kind of hear a lot of heat for it or, you know, arguments around that. And those are just sort of little red flags that kind of happen maybe early in the relationship and then throughout the relationship that indicate that there's uh, something unhealthy going on there, like an unequal power distribution there. Yeah, so it is it is about power, isn't it? I mean, it is. And people say often that even the rape is not so much a sexual act as a power act. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's all, always about power and control when we're talking about dating violence. It's this idea that I have kind of a one-up on you in some way, and I need to have that. And in ideal healthy relationships, that's not the case. We want to have sort of an equal relationship. You know, you go out with your friends, um, I go out with my friends, and then we sometimes overlap friends, sometimes we hang out one-on-one. There's this, you know, balance that occurs. Um, Not this intense uh, sense of jealousy or, you know, often you'll hear, well, I just don't want you to hang out with that person because I don't trust them. I don't think they're a good influence. And so logically that might make sense and you might let that person go or not hang out with them as much. And then there's a frequent infringing on who you're friends with and who you're spending time with, sometimes even family. So there's a bit of an isolation process that can happen. But sometimes isn't that healthy? I mean, if you and I were to be dating, I should be so lucky, um, <laughs> and, and you were hanging out with people that I knew were doing drugs, I mean, wouldn't, I, wouldn't it be right for me to step up and say, I don't really like you hanging with those people? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's certainly just the natural, I want to look out for you. I want to, um, you know, make sure you're safe. And that that isn't necessarily a problem. Um, but it's a matter of, you know, you don't have really a choice in the matter. Um, and it's something that is kind of like, I know better than you what is right and wrong for you. Um, and so ideally, if you're kind of hanging out with a lot of people who are doing drugs and using drugs and that's how you meet the person, they would sort of know that ahead of time. Now, it's not a healthy situation in general, but... You know, if they know it ahead of time and then they're coming in trying to sort of change who you are and who you're friends with. So, yeah, certainly you want to 
look out for each other and protect each other. That's part of healthy relationships, but it's more of a demand, and it's usually mixed in with other signs. It's not just this one isolated issue. It's other things like I'm I'm jealous of who you're hanging out with. You're not checking in on time. You don't you don't need to be wearing those clothes to class because you're with me, and so there's no really really reason why you should put makeup on to go to class or wear that outfit to go to class. Um, so it's like kind of a combination of a lot of things. It sounds like it's uh, in some ways more intense because it's in a campus pressure cooker mm-hmm. than the kinds of uh, things that you would work with in clients out in the community. Yeah, I think it, it, it happening on a college campus provides a unique dynamic because it is isolated in and of itself. You know, this is usually the first one of the first times that students are truly away from their home life, their family and friends from home. And so maybe they're trying to try on adulthood for size and not necessarily touching back with mom and dad as often. So they're trying to figure it out for themselves and say, I know it's, I know this, this is good for me. I know that this guy or girl is, is meaning well and they're not kind of touching back to their support system. And it can be sort of challenging because they already are isolated and then the isolation can just get more um, serious when they're saying, well, do you have to go home this weekend or your friend from home is a bad you know, influence? Do you need to see her all the time or him all the time? Or I don't like that you're friends with the same uh, opposite sex. Uh, it makes me you know, uncomfortable. And then I don't want you to do it anymore. So we can be uncomfortable and sometimes feel a little jealousy when our partners are with other people that might you know, threaten us a little bit saying, you know, I, I like my girlfriend or boyfriend. I don't want them to be with other people, but it's this, this drive to discontinue these friendships. You're not allowed to be friends with them anymore, as opposed to having a healthy conversation around why does that bother you? Let's talk about that. Where is our relationship? What are some of the other red flags that someone should look for? Often, you know, in these the beginnings of these relationships, so, you know, we don't, we no one starts off in a violent or a very uh, intensely abusive relationship. That wouldn't really work out so well. People would know from the start, this is not a good situation. Um, So it kind of happens over time, and it could be a short period of time or not, but there's these little red flags that go up that maybe your gut says, this doesn't feel right, this doesn't seem right, but maybe you kind of push those red flags down because you don't know exactly what's healthy or you don't know, you don't want to end this relationship. And some of those things could be the, you know, texting very frequently, expecting you to answer when they want you to answer, um, asking you to stop being friends with certain people. Um, it's kind of popular um, for couples to have each other's Facebook logins and other social media logins. It is a bit of an infringement on privacy, so you're asking yourself, why do they want that? And they usually say, well, there's nothing for you to hide. Why wouldn't you give it to me? Well, we're entitled to just privacy in general. They don't need to know every detail of your life, and neither do you need to know every single detail of your life. Um, So they might ask you to stop being friends with this guy or girl or several guys or girls on social media sites because they might have liked a photo where you looked really attractive in it and they feel threatened by that. Asking you to stop being, you know, friends in in real life with certain people, um, going out with certain people, certain activities that you really enjoy. Maybe you're part of groups on campus, fraternities, sororities, um, RSOs, and you're um, enjoying that, and they're saying, well, do you really need to spend that much time with those people? When do we get to have time together? This idea that it's kind of your responsibility to help take care of them in a way that, you know, maybe they should be taking care of themselves. Does this typically lead to physical violence? I mean, does it typically build up to the point of physical violence, or is that still a is that a relatively rare thing? I, I don't know anything about this. Yeah. Um, well, I think physical violence is... Um, 
you know, often how we know, you know, that's absolutely 100 percent inappropriate. It's intimate partner violence. We know that there's no question around it. I don't know if it's it ha- it doesn't have to happen in these relationships for it to be considered intimate partner violence. So your relationship might be unhealthy and you're feeling, you know, these things might be coming up for you and there's a lot of jealousy and inappropriate um, requests from the partner and you feeling not so great about yourself, but there's never a hand that's laid on you. Never even, you know, a shove or a grab or holding down or anything like that. Um, so no, it doesn't have to ever get physical. And in fact, these emotional manipulations and mind games that sometimes happen, and if you love me, you would, such and such, and um, you must not love me if you're going to go to this party or, you know, those things can be uh, just as detrimental as physical violence because you start to question yourself and your own um, judgment because they're saying, well, if you love me, you would. And you think, well, I do love this person, so I guess I should. And, you know, you start to question your own judgment. And so it doesn't have to get physical. It almost sounds like brainwashing. Yeah, it does. It's very manip- There's a very manipulative element to it. And often when you're in these relationships and you start to know something's wrong and you're just not feeling quite right, you'll start to pick up on some of the manipulations um, or you just won't feel like it's quite right. And so I encourage anybody who's in a relationship where they're, even if they're not sure, is this dating violence? Is it not? Is it manipulation? Is it not? Come by and just have a conversation. There's no need um, to make a huge commitment just to have conversations with me about what this is and just checking in. I just need to talk to you one time or I'm worried about my friend. I think this might be an issue for her or him. Can I just talk to you and run it by you? Sure. Come on by. Have that conversation because I'm the one who knows a lot about it and maybe you don't. So let me help you. I think that's a very important point, Jennifer, that, that people are sometimes hesitant about going to a counselor, even informally. Mm-hmm. But what someone like you brings to the table is, well, if nothing else, it's, it's almost reassuring to be able to tell someone well and for them to hear that, well, in 30 percent of the cases, this is the kind of thing that happens. Right. Or in 50 percent, this is the kind right. of thing that happens. Right. And a lot of times it is friends who say, I don't know, something's just not right with this relationship. My friend's different. She's not around as much anymore. Or, you know, he never comes around um, with all of our friends like he used to. Um, you know, the friends notice this and they're a good indicator. So even if you feel like you know, something's going on with your friend and you don't know how to broach the subject or, you know, you just want their statistics or you yourself just want to know, am I going through this? Yeah, it's it doesn't have to be a formal therapy that you might see on TV and think you're sitting down on the couch telling all your problems. It can just be a very casual and important and necessary conversation because it is a subject that isn't talked about openly and honestly um, in general, in society, and probably not on college campuses because I think that Students may think, oh, no, no, that's something that happens to married people. That's that's not me. Um, and it's not. It's much, much more than that. Sounds like you're saying that some college students think that you have to be married before he can hit you. I don't know about that. Uh, I just think that domestic violence is something that people associate with older people or married people. Like, and, and, yeah, if he has to hit me. Um, and he, this guy didn't hit me, and he's not been my boyfriend but three weeks. I mean, that's not domestic violence. That's not dating violence. And it, it can be. It can be um, just as detrimental as if you're in, you know, a marriage for two years or if you're just starting off a relationship and it immediately starts off challenging. And sometimes, um, you know, when folks are drinking or, or uh, using drugs, they might become more violent and more intense. And we like to write it off and say, well, it was because she or he was drunk. Um, and the reality is that's not an excuse. It usually just exacerbates the problem. So 
drinking and drugs don't make you violent. It just makes the violence worse. So it kind of has to exist beforehand. So we don't want to write that off and just say it's just because they were drinking. How widespread is domestic violence or intimate partner violence on a college campus compared with society at large? The uh, interesting thing is that it's pretty much the same. You have one in four women experience um, dating or domestic violence at some point in their lives. So maybe the time that the woman experienced it was in college. Maybe it was in her marriage. Maybe it was in, um, you know, a relationship in high school. But the reality is that over, you know, the general lifespan, one in four. Um, And so, yeah, it's a little surprising because some people think, well, again, it's not my, I'm in college, I'm just doing, you know, what I do in college, and it's sort of a separate time. But the reality is um, that most people who experience dating violence experience it between the ages of 18 and 24, which is college age. Wow, that's awful young. That's a lot younger than many women think. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. And I, I think that, you know, again, it can start as early as middle school, high school, but because that is the key time when women are experiencing it, this campus grant program was that important to actually get in and, and start, you know, to having conversations around this and having interventions around it and, you know, individual counseling and groups and things like that, because this is, in fact, when it happens. And when you reflect back, you, you know, maybe as an adult, older adult, you might say, yeah, it was when I was 18 to 24. We're talking today with Jennifer Ewald, a licensed clinical social worker who's Uh, works for Child Inc. and is on campus working with the UD Student Wellness and Health Promotion Department office, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. um, to work with students on healthy relationships and how to create them and how to recognize the signs of an unhealthy relationship. What's going on in society at large that's making uh, partner abuse, whether it be physical or mental, What's going on in society at large to make this such a big problem? Well, I think just, um, you know, my personal opinion is, you know, how we we uh, promote certain types of relationships. And I think that gender roles play, play a huge part in that. If we put people in boxes and saying men are supposed to behave this way and women are supposed to behave this way, and we have television shows and magazines and other media um, promoting that, then it's not surprising when we create an unequal power dynamic that, then these relationships mimic that. So if um, we'll, we'll just use a very, you know, heterosexual example, but if, you know, we have a man in a relationship, he's supposed to be aggressive and powerful and the wage earner and, you know, uh, the person who works outside the home, even though there's a lot of challenges to that and women are working more outside the home, there's still these idea that certain responsibilities fall on um, women and men. And so again, he should be making more money. She should at least, if she is, Um, working outside the home, still take care of the kids and still take care of um, household duties. Um, And so we promote these these gender stereotypes and we create this unequal power dynamic. And so um, maybe the woman isn't making as much money and then there's a domestic violence situation happening and how does she leave when there's a financial restriction? Um, She doesn't have the resources or the independence because the isolation has occurred. Um, She's been cut off from her family, friends. Um, Now she has these children with this man. And so I think a lot of these messages get promoted through our media, um, through our child rearing, um, and we keep people in boxes. And it's not just detrimental to women, but also to men to say, you have to be aggressive or you have to be um, the strong person. You have to make more money. You have to be the one that works outside the home. 
And if you don't, then you're less of a man. Um, and that's very detrimental to men as well, because maybe that's not where they're comfortable. Maybe they're comfortable being child rearers at home while the woman works or in, in uh, same sex relationships. How do you divide it there? So I think that that can be a huge you know, issue when we promote these unequal power distribution in relationships and these gender role stereotypes. Sex sells. That's the advertising motto. Right. And I think that we um, bombard women, young women, uh, you know, from middle school up, uh, probably even earlier, truthfully, um, with these explicit sexual images. I think our our culture in general kind of doesn't necessarily want to invest the time doing really good, healthy sexual education um, in schools or at home, but we will sell these explicit messages and kind of put it in your face, but say, you know, don't talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. We're just going to put it in your face. We're going to entice you, but we're not, let's not talk about it. And so where are we getting our healthy? It's sort of putting an ostrich, putting its head in the sand, hiding. I mean, it's, the sexual images are out there. People know that sex sells. Mm -hmm. Pornography is more widely available than Mm -hmm. ever before, Mm -hmm. Um, but we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to educate you kids about it. Right. Um, and you'll just stumble on it on your own, or you'll see the images in magazines of women who are um, uh, magazines or you know internet ads or just really anything where you know women are in maybe um, submissive, compromising positions, uh, men are in aggressive, dominating positions. There's tons of print ads that are you know out there that show these these images that you know on a lot of feminist sites you can you know look through and see all these very surprisingly shocking ads that are from this day and age, not from the 50s that are pretty supportive of the, you know, the male aggressor aggressor and the female submissive person. And you get bombarded with these ads and then no one's really talking about what this is doing and how this is impacting young people, not just girls, but guys too. Jennifer, let's switch to a much more positive topic if we can. And Mm -hmm. let's talk about how people, particularly young people, maybe in their first or second what feels like a deep relationship, how, how can they go about trying to build a healthy relationship? What are the things they should look for or act on? Sure. Um, yeah, I think that that's an extremely important part because we know the intimate partner violence is out there, but there are so many wonderful, healthy, happy people and relationships. And so let's keep uh, pursuing those type of relationships. So um, sometimes we think relationships have to have some drama associated with it and some little bit of you know, a little bit of games and things like that. And I understand the, you know, courting process, but um, it's a matter of trusting your gut. I feel like most of the young people um, that I see in in the office at Student Wellness and Health Promotion, they know something's wrong. They've said from the beginning, this just didn't feel right, but they didn't trust their gut. Your gut is a good guide. Trust yourself in the sense of, you know, if someone's infringing on your personal rights. Um, Healthy relationships always based out of communication feeling like something's weird or something's not going quite right, have a conversation around it. How is that conversation received by that partner? Are they shutting you down? Uh, Are they letting you really express your feelings and emotions? Are you hearing them when they're expressing their feelings and emotion? Um, So communication is critical. And I think during this um, time in your life as a college student, you're learning how you want to communicate, how you want to be received and how you want to receive others, where you're going to draw your lines. Um, boundaries are critical. We often talk about boundaries, and sometimes we don't get to do a really great job explaining what that means. It's so sort of invisible lines where you say, if you cross this one, I mean it. It's not going to work. And knowing what your boundaries are so that they can't be compromised. If you don't like the idea that someone wants to date four people while dating you, then 
you draw that boundary and say, I'm sorry, that's just not, it's not worth it to me. If you don't like the idea that they want you to check in on a regular basis through text message, trust your gut, draw the boundary. I'm sorry, I have a life. I'm with my friends and that's my time. And it is your time. When I was in college in the 70s, Oberlin College out in Ohio got mocked all across the country because they came up with a very explicit set of boundaries. You know, and they had guidelines that, mm-hmm. you know, you were supposed to ask before you even tried to kiss, before you tried to hug, before you tried to get into things that we can't talk about on a family radio show. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's an important thing to do to try and, and, and learn how to communicate boundaries. I mean, what are the boundaries you have? I mean, you've crossed a boundary, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. But it, it's it's how, how do you how does a couple develop that in an organic way, that kind of communication in an organic way? You know, I think it usually happens when some when you do feel wronged. Something happened, I feel wronged. I don't know why something's coming up inside of me. There you go. Trust your gut. Why do I feel wronged? Kind of exploring it a little bit internally. I don't know. I just the way that he or she spoke to me and it, in front of my friends, it made me feel embarrassed. And I just kind of feel like I need to talk about that. And so maybe you didn't even know that boundary existed. Hopefully you did know that it's not okay to um, humiliate me in front of my friends. And then you go and you have that conversation. Listen, the other day we were, you know, we were in this situation and I felt wronged and this is why. And maybe you're enlightening that person. Maybe they say, oh, my goodness, I didn't even realize that that was how you took it. And that's the response that you want is reception to what you're saying. You might get a little defensiveness because you're now telling them something they did was wrong and you didn't like it. Um, But hopefully it's well received and they're hearing your side of it. So I think that often it comes out of feeling it's the relationships going about normally, organically, and something comes up and you say, "Okay, that's what I don't like. But also to remember the things that you do like. Tell them that, too. That's so important for our relationships, whether you're in college or whether you're married for 25 years. I really liked it when we went on that date together and you made sure that I was comfortable and, and my, you, know, you helped me send my meal back because I felt weird about it. It really meant a lot to me, and here's why. And it might sound cheesy, but it's also allowing that person to know what they're doing right so that they will continue to do it for you. And you're expressing healthily, this is what I like in relationships. This is what I want. Some ways it sounds like you're talking about the same kind of communication that goes on with good parenting. It's, it's a little bit different, I know, but you know, yeah. it's it's you know communicating to my son when he was young. No, I'm not mad at you. It's this behavior that we've got to stop. Right, and and you're and you're 100 right. You know, in a part of something else that Child Inc. does besides domestic violence work is parent parent education and, and um, healthy parenting. And so, absolutely, it's really just human behavior. I like it when you do this. I don't like it when you do that. So you tell a child that, and the more you tell them the positive things, you obviously tell them what you don't like, but the positive things, they really want to make you happy. So they'll say, oh, dad likes when I do this, and I'm going to keep doing that. And that's really a, a great way to get kids to do what you want as opposed to some of the harsher disciplinary measures. But in terms of relationships, you can take it to that next level, too, to try Absolutely. and communicate. Jennifer, I really am fond of you. It's I'm very fond of you. But, you know, when you do this with your toothbrush, it just drives me crazy. Right. I mean, it, it to make it clear that it's the behavior you're talking about mm-hmm. so the person doesn't go, oh, my God. Right. It's me and I'm a terrible partner. Right. And um, and hopefully you know, your self-esteem is where it needs to be that if you hear that message, you're not internalizing it thinking I'm a terrible partner. But sometimes our self-esteem 
can be, or our insecurities can be touched on, buttoned, pushed, and you may become a little defensive, but you might say, I'm really sorry, Richard. I've just, when I was growing up, that's where we kept our toothbrushes. And then you say, oh, okay, um, well, in my house, can we do it this way? And it's really a negotiation, um, not necessarily a compromise because you're not putting your, both of your needs, you know, aside and it's, you know, just part that, uh, really about that healthy communication piece and having that conversation together, figuring it out together. Jennifer Ewald, and it really does come down to healthy communication for healthy relationships, right? Mm -hmm, Absolutely, and healthy boundaries. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Campus Voices, a collaboration between WVUD, the broadcast voice of the University of Delaware, and UD Information Technologies. The views expressed on this program are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official views or policies of WVUD, UD Information Technologies, or the University of Delaware. For more information about Campus Voices and to find archive copies of this and other episodes, visit our website. Using all lowercase letters, go to www.udel.edu slash campusvoices. We invite you to tune in every Thursday morning at 8.30 for Campus Voices on 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, Newark, or online at wvud.org.